Good. Let me pray for uh, our time in the Word this morning. Lord, we love what you're doing. Thank you for this body. Thank you that we can pray for each other and share and love each other. And Lord, we want to open up your Word now. We tremble thinking of this. This is the very words of God. So Lord, give us fresh submission to your Word and faith and love for your Word, I pray. And help me, you know how much I need your help, Lord, to preach. Give me the right heart. Give me wisdom. I pray that you would powerfully speak to each one here exactly what we each need to hear today through your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10 is where we are, working our way through Hebrews. And if you need a Bible, as we always like to say, go ahead and raise your hand because we want to bring one to you. Be bold. We want you all to have a Bible you can look on with. We are passionate about studying the Bible here. So raise your hand. We'll bring one. Very good. Part of our vision here at Mercy Hill Church is to train everyone here, everyone who's part of this community. We want to train everyone to be able to read the Bible for yourself. Study the Bible for yourself. So you're not just depending on Sunday morning's teaching. We want be strong. We want this to be really helpful, but you're not just depending on Sunday morning teaching, but that, that you're able to, on your own, open up the scriptures and study the scriptures and learn and teach yourself from the scriptures. That's crucial part of, of, of growing to be like an oak of righteousness is being able to, to study and read and learn and teach yourself the scriptures. Huge part of our vision here. So last summer, uh, Jan and I were visiting my parents down in Southern California, and you know my dad taught how to study the Bible for 30-plus years in, in seminary. And so I asked him, I said, if you were going to really work on training people to be able to study the Bible on their own, what's the one most important thing you would urge them to do? And he said, well, besides prayer and really coming with a humble, submissive heart to the Lord, that's the most important thing. He said, but besides that, I would really encourage them to learn how to see and follow the author's train of thought through the passage. To see the author's flow of thought, to see the train of thought, to see where the author's going. So it's not just understanding this sentence and then understanding this sentence and understanding this sentence, but knowing where's the author going? What's the author's point? What's he wanting to say? What's the big picture that he's really trying to teach us? It's very helpful to have my dad share that. So question I want to start off with this morning is what's the author's train of thought in the verses we're going to be in the verses leading up to where we are this morning in Hebrews chapter 10 and here's what I noticed in chapter 4 verse 16 I think we're going to get a there's the picture up there in chapter 4 verse 16 he gives a huge command let's draw near to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need Big old commander in chapter 4, verse 16. And then what he does next is to give reasons for why we, sinful people, can draw near to a holy, righteous, perfect God, just God. How can we, who've sinned against God, draw near to him and receive mercy and grace? Why don't we just get judged? And so he explains the reason why is because Jesus Christ is our high priest who will perfectly represent us before God. When we come to God the Father through Jesus, trusting his perfect sacrifice of his body, paying for our sins, 
trusting his death on the cross, trusting his resurrection, trusting him to perfectly represent us before the Father, when we come in Jesus' name, not because of our own righteousness, but because of Jesus' blood and righteousness, the Father smiles, smiles. I'm so glad you're here. Come, let's fellowship. Let's talk together. And so that's what the author does in chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, and the first part of chapter 10 is to teach on how Jesus is our great high priest who has offered the perfect sacrifice by his own blood in payment for our sins. And notice the first word here in this chapter, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Notice the first word of verse 19. What's the word? Therefore. One more time, what's the word? Okay, it's therefore. And that word shows that the author is now drawing a conclusion from what he's just been talking about. So he's drawing a conclusion from chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and the first part of chapter 10. And when you read verses 19 through 25 of chapter 10, what you see is that his conclusion contains three commands. So let's read verses 19 through 25 so we can see what those three commands are. So realize this is the conclusion from one, two, three, four, five and a half chapters of, 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 of doctrine, theology. Jesus is our great high priest. So like building this massive foundation for this explosion into these three commands. So let's notice what they are. Start with verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So he's, he's repeating here some of his arguments from 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 in the first half of 10. So since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, his death on the cross opened up the way into the Holy of Holies. And verse 21, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near. Exact same command is back in chapter 4, verse 16, right? Let's draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So there's the first command. Let's draw near to God. Second command, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Here's the second command. Third command, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, so the fact that the author is given five and a half chapters of reasons, all building up to these three commands, show that these three commands are really, really important, right? Do you see that? Building, 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 building. Three hugely important commands. And so here's what I want to do. I want to take one week for each of these commands. And two weeks ago, we focused on verses 19 through 22 about drawing near to God. We talked about that two weeks ago. By the way, how's that been going? Have you been getting time this past week or two where you've 
laid everything else aside and have drawn near to the living God. And just like the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament and meet the living God, that door has been opened for us now through Christ. The Holy of Holies is there. Are we entering? Have you entered? Or have you just been like walking around the Holy of Holies recently? Have you gone into the presence of the Lord and met him in the word by prayer? So that was that first command. And then today, we're going to focus on 23, and Lord willing, next week we'll take 24 and 25. Sound good? I'm excited about this. So let's read verses, verse 23. Again, here's the command we're going to look at today. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Okay, now what does that mean? What does it mean to hold fast the confession of our hope? Now, the word hold fast implies holding on to something really strongly, really, really firmly. Remember, when we were back in chapter 3, we were talking about the same exact same Greek word and talking about what it means to hold on. Remember, I used the illustration. I want to use it again today. It's like you're in the river above the Niagara Falls, and the current of that river is moving you towards certain destruction of going over the falls. And the reason that's where we all find ourselves as human beings is because we've all sinned against God. We've all turned our backs against him, and God's perfect, holy, just, and so he has to judge, he has to punish, and so we are all in this river moving us relentlessly towards the final judgment. That's where we all find ourselves. But God loves us. He doesn't delight in judgment. He delights in what? Mercy. He delights in mercy. And so he sent his own son, Jesus, who was willing to be punished, scourged, nailed to a cross, and have God's wrath against our sin poured out upon him to be punished in our place. And so because God did that, then God could, could throw each of us a rope. Every single one of us. He's here. And you're like, oh, I'm flowing down. Oh, and here's a rope. So when we grab onto the rope of salvation in Jesus Christ, two things happen. One is our movement towards judgment stops. Feeling the current, but okay, here we are. And then God starts. He's over here. He's like, what? Okay. And so we stop. And then like, oh, I like the direction of this. And he's pulling us to that safe shore of heaven. That's the picture, okay? But so here's, here's the question. If you knew that you were in the river above the Niagara Falls, and if you could hear the thunderous roar, and you could see yourself getting closer and closer, and if you knew that somebody had just thrown you over and said, hold on, how hard would you hold on? How strongly would you grip that rope? Pretty strongly, like... Oh, this is it, okay? Like your life depends on it. Because it does. That's what the author is calling us to do. Hold on. Cling to the confession of our hope. Okay, so what's the confession of our hope? What are we clinging to? Read the whole verse again. And I want to point out two clues in this verse for what it is that we're holding to. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. That's one clue. Underline that word, hope. So we're holding on to some confession, some truth about the future. Hope. Hope is looking ahead to the future. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised, 
is faithful. Underline that word promised. Promises are about the future. God has given us promises about the future. And so to hold fast to the confession of our hope means to hold fast to God's promises. Hold fast to God's promises. What God has promised, he will do for us in the future. That's the confession of our hope. We're confessing all these things that God has promised to do. Because he who promised is faithful. It's promises. Now, here's here's a problem I've noticed. Over the years, I've noticed that too many uh, believers, they don't hold fast to God's promises. They hold fast to the cross, which is crucial Okay, hold on to the cross. None of God's promises can be true for us apart from Jesus' death on the cross. So they hold on to the the cross and they hold on to commands. And that's helpful. It's helpful to hold on to commands. But for some reason, I find that many, many Christians do not hold on to God's promises. And let me just ask you this question. This past week, just think about your week, what's gone on. What promises have you held on to like you were in the river above the Niagara Falls and this is what was keeping you from going over? Have you had promises this last week that you have clung to like that? Psalm 84:11. Father, no good thing do you withhold from those who walk uprightly or whatever it might be, okay? Have you had promises this past week that you've clung to? I would guess many of us would say, I can't remember that I have done that. Okay, so you're at the right place this morning. We're going to talk about how to do that, why that's so important, because that's the second command that he gives us after five and a half chapters of reasons, is he wants us, we're drawing near to God, that's the first command, and then we're holding fast to God's promises. So, what has God promised? Second question for this morning. And we can find God's promises throughout the Bible. I like to say, you've heard me say it before, the Bible's like a treasure chest full of God's promises. Just full of God's promises. So what has God promised? And I thought this morning we wanted to focus on Hebrews. And so what I did this past week is I went through Hebrews and I I listed every promise I could find in the book of Hebrews. Over 40 of them. And I'm not going to go over all those this morning, but but here's what I did the next. I, I studied them and looked at them and I noticed that they kind of clumped up into three categories, three main promises. So let's go through those. I want to show you where they're found in Hebrews, and then we're going to think through how can we grow in holding fast to these promises. I think these three promises would summarize the confession of our hope. These three promises are the promises that especially the author of Hebrews wants us clinging to. So the first promise is this. God has promised Forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 9, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 to see this promise. Such a powerful. I would encourage you to memorize Hebrews 9, uh, 13 and 14. Let's start in verse 13 to get the whole flow of thought. He says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. Okay, what? this is all Old Testament talk. Okay, if the Old Testament provided for some kind of a flesh outward purification, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will the blood of Christ 
purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. How much more will it? Totally more. Christ's blood purifies your conscience from dead works. What that means is that because of our sin, we are guilty before God and our conscience will feel that. And to have your conscience purified from this guilt means that you will, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you turn and trust him, you will feel the weight of that guilt lift and the, and the assuring, pardoning, forgiving love of God poured out. That's what will happen. God has promised forgiveness of sins, and it's all through the blood of Christ. It's all through Jesus. It's not through us being good enough. It's through his blood and perfect righteousness alone. We've sinned against God. We deserve his punishment, but God loves us. God loves us. And he sent Jesus, paid for our sins. And so the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, all of your sins, past sins, present sins, future sins, all of your sins forgiven, he saves you, he loves you, he redeems you, he adopts you, he welcomes you, he cares for you, he sanctifies you, he will glorify you, all because of what Jesus has done. He promises forgiveness of sins. That's one huge promise through the book of Hebrews. Forgiveness of sins. Are you, are you clinging to that promise? We'll come back to that question in a moment. Second promise. God's promised help for every need. Turn back to chapter 4, verse 16. I love this promise. I've been praying about this promise this week. Chapter 4, verse 16. Remember, this is the this is the before these all these chapters of, of reasons. Chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now underline those last four words. In time of need. That's all needs. So that would certainly include spiritual needs. Right? Like when we need strength against a temptation, he will provide strength against temptation. When you need comfort because of your brother being in prison or because of your son's unexpected passing, he will give you comfort. When you need just a fresh outpouring of God's love, help me see, feel, know who you are, he will give that to us. So this certainly covers spiritual needs. But it's not just spiritual needs. In time of need, any need. So whenever you have a need of any sort, just like Ted shared, the first, our first step is to draw near to God, draw near to the throne of grace. We will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That should be our first step. He can help you with your business marketing plan. He can. He can give you wisdom about your parenting. He can. Every need you have, it's not the case. I hope nobody here at Mercy Hill thinks it's true that God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible, okay, just to clarify that. God helps those who draw near to the throne of grace. And the promise in chapter 4, verse 16, is that every time you draw near to the throne of grace, he will give you grace and mercy to help in your time of need. There's lots of ways. He may direct you to go talk to somebody else. He may say, go read this marketing book. He may you know, go talk to the older couple who've done parenting. Uh, he just may give you wisdom from the word. There's all kinds of ways he can do it, but he will do it. 
every need he's promised help for. Isn't that an amazing promise? Wow. Third promise. He's promised future reward. Now to show you this, I want to show you a verse we haven't looked at yet. It's chapter 11. We're getting there. Chapter 11, verse 6. It says, without faith, turn there, Hebrews 11, 6. That's a couple pages to the right. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, see that theme in Hebrews? Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. That's important, obviously. And what else must we believe? That he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. Now, this is described in chapter 3 as entering God's rest. Beautiful picture there in chapter 3. In chapter 9, it's described as the everlasting inheritance. In chapter 12, it's described as seeing God. And so all these descriptions of the reward that God gives us all point to the fact that what God gives us is God. What God gives us is himself. God himself. And see, the reason that this is such amazing news is, is this. God is the, the infinitely greatest value of the universe. So it's just good to stop and remind ourselves of this. Our highest joy, our greatest pleasure that human beings have, can have, is beholding God, loving God, worshiping God. God. Did you taste that this morning while Phil was leading us? I mean, you come into worship on a Sunday morning and you get to taste the highest joy in the universe. It's God knowing him, seeing him, loving him, worshiping him. That's the highest joy of the universe. And God promises this. He promises that after the battle of fighting against sin, which is a battle, right? Have you been battling this week? It's Tooth and nail, take no captives, war. After the the battle, the difficulty of fighting sin, and after the the heartbreaks that believers will experience in this life, like Anne is experiencing right now, the heartbreaks that believers will experience, God's promise that after the the battle against sin, and after the, the heartbreaks that we experience, and after the suffering that comes from advancing the gospel, we're sharing the gospel with people, and that can bring some hits in this country, not too much, but other countries losing it all, that after the, the battles of fighting against sin, after the heartbreaks we experience, after the suffering for the sake of the gospel, he will reward you with himself forever. That's the prize. You get God forever. That's the reward. Future reward. So when the author of Hebrews calls us to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, he's talking about three main things. Holding fast to the promise that God forgives sins through Christ. Hold fast to the promise that God will meet every need as I draw near to him And God will bring me the reward of everlasting, ever-increasing joy in beholding him in the face of Christ forever. That's what he's calling us to do.
So at this point, I was just thinking, okay, where, where do we go next? And it just struck me, we should talk a little bit about how can you tell if you are holding to these promises? How can you tell if you're holding to these? What kind of evidence would you look at? And I want to think about this for each promise. So let's start with the first one. How can you tell if you're holding to this promise? Like, remember a rope, Niagara Falls? How can you tell if you're holding to this promise of God's forgiveness through Christ? How can you tell if you're holding firmly to that? And one way you can tell is because you you have confessed all your known sin. Again, we don't need to worry about unknown sin. Just the known sins are what we got to deal with. You've confessed your known sin before God, and you are assured based on the authority of his word, chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and the first part of chapter 10, you are assured based on the authority of God's word that all of your sins are forgiven. If that's true of you, then you're holding fast to this one. And you'll have times, this isn't constant, but you'll have times where he will pour his assuring love upon you, where you will, will experience his assuring love filling your heart. And so it's not just that you know you're forgiven, but it's like he's right there saying, you are forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. There'll be times, not constant, but there'll be times. It's one of the ways you can tell you're holding firm. And another way you can tell you're holding firm to this one is that when you sin, because we do, when you sin, you you bring it before God in humble, genuine confession and repentance. Asking him to forgive you for the guilt. Asking him to remove that, that grieving of the spirit that you can feel in your heart. And asking him just for a fresh assurance of, of forgiveness. And he will always do that. That's how you can tell if you're holding fast. Two ways you can tell. So are you holding fast to this promise? How can you tell if you're holding to the promise that God will help us with every need as we seek him? How can you tell if you're holding to that one? One way is because whenever you have a need, then your first step would be to do what? Draw near to him. Okay. Hello, church. Right. You see that? So if you're trusting this promise, if God stands before you and says, I will help you with every need you have, if you draw near to me, every need I'll take care of. Then if you are holding fast to that promise and a need comes up, what are you going to do? Draw near to him. I'm not sure we're getting it yet. Are you, you understand this? I know this is, this is foreign. We're so self-reliant in this country. We're so, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. But the God of the universe stands before you in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, and says, if you will draw near to him, he will give you grace and mercy to help in your time of need. So when you have a time of need, the first thing we would do is we would draw near to the throne of grace to receive his mercy and help for this, for this area of need. So one of the ways you can tell you're holding to that promise is because you do that. That's like your first step, okay? Another way you can tell, this is convicting to me, is because you don't worry about the future. Because if God stands before you and says, every need, Steve Fuller, that you will ever have, if you will draw near to me, I will give you grace and mercy to help in that time of need. That is an amazing promise. The God of the universe promises that to you and to me. Every need. Hebrews 4.16. Don't take my word for it. Right there. Study this verse for yourself. Okay? See what's being said there. And so if I'm worried about a future need, I mean, all worry is about a future need. That's what all worry is. I'm not trusting this promise. See? This is helpful. Convicting, helpful, all those kinds of things. Okay, last one. How can you tell if you're holding to God's promise of the future reward of seeing him? This was convicting for me to think about. 
You can tell because what you're looking forward to the most, most of the time, is seeing God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. That's how you can tell when you're holding on to this. What you are looking forward to the most, most of the time, is seeing God's glory in Christ. As we saw last week at our Easter message, right? 1 Peter 1.13, hope fully in the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's our living hope. Like Phil led us in a song about living hope this morning. So if you're holding to this rope of the future reward of seeing God, that this is what it's all about, then that's what you'll be hoping in mostly most of the time. Another way you can tell is because this hope of beholding God, it's what motivates you to to serve each other. My future is set. It is secured through Christ. I have an eternity of heart-filling, ever-increasing joy. I am set so I can serve people. I don't need to get from people. I don't need to suck other people dry. I've got this future, and he, he gives me tastes of it now by the Holy Spirit so we can serve each other. It motivates us to battle sin. I don't want anything to diminish that joy I'm going to have in the Lord forever. It motivates us to share the gospel with people because I want to see him glorified. So it motivates our lives now. So those are two ways you can tell if you're holding to God's promise of the future reward of seeing him. Okay, now the point isn't to start working on all these things. Okay, that's a little bit overwhelming. Six things. Come on, Pastor Steve. I mean, okay, that's not the point. The point is I want to help you ask the question, how are you doing and holding on to God's promises? How are you doing? I would guess some of you here this morning in a group this size, you're not holding to God's promises at all because you, you haven't yet come to the place where you're trusting Jesus. And we are so glad you're here, if that's the case. We're glad you're here. You're, we hope you're moving towards that. We want to do all we can to, to encourage you in that direction. But so some of you really are not yet at all holding on to God's promises through Jesus Christ. And what I want to tell you is if you're not holding on to God's promises, then you're holding on to the world's promises. Every human being is always holding on to some promises. We have promise-holding hands. Okay, this is what we're always doing. It's, if it's not like God's promises, it's like some other promise. I don't know what that would be. But anyway, get my point? You're always trusting some promise. And so if you are not trusting God's promises, you're trusting the world's promises. You're trusting that, that status is what's going to satisfy you. You're trusting that money is what's going to take care of all your needs. You're trusting that friends is what, are what's going to comfort you, whatever it might be. And all those promises are going to fail you. None of them are God. None of them are your creator. And so if you're not trusting God's promises, you're trusting the world's promises. And I just want to persuade you, those are all going to fail you. So this morning, turn from whatever else you've been trusting and put your trust in Jesus Christ and all that God promises to be to us in Christ. So some of you aren't holding to God's promises at all. Others of you, you are. You are holding to God's promises, but just not enough. Okay, how do I know? Because we're not in heaven yet. Okay, we've all got growing to do, all right? Sometimes you are holding to God's promises. Sometimes you're not. And even when you are, maybe not strong enough. Okay, so, so my point is that every one of us here needs to grow in holding on to God's promises. Some of us, like we, we never have them. We need to start today. Others, we need to get stronger. So read verse 23 again and feel the power of this command. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without 
wavering, without wavering. That means we're always holding on tightly, okay, to God's promise of forgiveness, God's promise of help when we draw near to him for every need, and God's promise of future reward of beholding him forever. So we all need to work on this. So how do we do it? What can we do to get our faith strengthened? Are you seeing that your faith needs to get strengthened at God's promises? Are you understanding that? Am I clear enough on this point? Okay. All right. So what do we do? Look at verse 23. Look at the second half. He tells us what to do. I love, I love the author of Hebrews. I love the Holy Spirit who inspired him to write these words. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For, here's the reason why. Here's how we can do this. He who promised is faithful. So the way to strengthen your hope in God's promises, the way to strengthen your hold on God's promises is to remind yourself that God is faithful. To think over just how faithful God has been to keeping his promises. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit will, you'll find that you're holding more tightly. The Holy Spirit will work in your heart as you spend time thinking about God's faithfulness. Now, let me talk about it like this. One of the reasons God gave us the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, like two-thirds of the Bible, nation of Israel, is to show us how faithful God is. Because throughout the Old Testament, God gave Israel hundreds of promises. Hundreds of promises. Now, some of those promises will still be fulfilled in the future. But we can read through the Old Testament and see promise fulfilled, promise fulfilled, promise fulfilled, promise fulfilled. It struck me, it's like God bats a thousand. Okay? He's up, boom, hit. He's up, boom, hit. He's up, boom, hit. He's up, boom, hit. He could hit, he could hit, 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 hit. Batting a thousand. There's Every time he makes a promise, he fulfills it. Promise fulfilled, promise fulfilled, promise fulfilled. Faithful, faithful, faithful. I mean, did God give Abraham and Sarah a biological child? Yes. Even though they were close to 100 years old. Okay? Well beyond the point of childbearing years. God was not worried. He promised. He gave them a child. She got pregnant. Gave birth. Did God deliver Israel from a famine that came into the land? Yes, he did. Remember how he did that? By having Joseph be enslaved as a, be kidnapped and enslaved in Egypt, and by having him go into a dungeon, falsely accused, into a dungeon where Pharaoh heard about his abilities to discern dreams and ended up making him the number two man of Egypt in charge of all the food supply. God was faithful. Faithful. Did God deliver Israel from Egypt with amazing signs and wonders? Did God take care of all of Israel's needs through 40 years? of wandering in Death Valley. I mean, this would be a serious problem. He totally did it. Brought water out of rocks, brought, you know, manna on the ground, fresh deliveries of meat every day. Okay, God totally provided for every single need. So you read through the Old Testament. Fulfillment, fulfillment, fulfillment. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Take time to think about how faithful God has been. Read Old Testament stories and see promise fulfillment, promise fulfillment, promise fulfillment. Okay, now, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to pick one of these three promises. Which one are you the weakest in? You just pick that one. Don't overwhelm yourself. Just pick one. 
Which one are you the weakest in? Don't need to tell anybody. Just, okay, in your own heart. This is the one. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's that God will, when you draw near to him, give you grace and mercy to help in every time of need. Or maybe it's the future reward. Maybe you're, you're, you're not trusting. You're not feeling it. That beholding him is going to be worth it all. So just be really honest with yourself. Which one are you not clinging to? And here's what I want to challenge you to do. Two things. One is... Take time, maybe this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, and review just like God delivering Israel from Egypt or God taking care of Israel in the wilderness or God giving Abraham and Sarah a baby or whatever it might be. Just review and think think about and pray over, God, you have kept every promise. So do that. Just pray over that. And then as you go into your week, intentionally say, this week, I'm going to hold on to that promise. I'm going to think about that promise. In the back of my mind, while you're working on budget at work, or it's the back of your mind while you're doing the laundry, you know, and you're thinking about it, maybe while you're, I mean, you can't, can't be in the center of your mind all the time, but it's just, it's in the back of the mind, and then it comes in the center often. It goes back into the back, right? But, but consciously hold to this promise. Ask God to help you hold fast to that promise. Think about God's faithfulness to all of his promises. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit will work in your heart. Your faith will rise. Your faith will grow. You'll be holding it. That promise will become more real to you. And then what I want you to do is share in your home group what happened. What did God do in your heart? How did you see that promise permeating your life, marinating your life? with the word of God and the spirit of God and, and love for others and, and peace when problems come and freedom from worry. How did holding on to that promise permeate, marinate your life? So we'll come into our home groups and we'll share about it this week, about how that went. All right? Now let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Thank you so much that you are a God who is perfectly, flawlessly faithful to every promise, every promise you've ever made and ever will make. You've never made a promise and broken it. Never, and you never will. Thank you for Jesus Christ through whom we can come to you. And we know that no promise could be fulfilled to us if it weren't for Jesus' death on the cross and his perfect righteousness in our place. So I pray that each one of us this week could take time to think deeply about your faithfulness as taught in your word. And I pray that each of us this week could pick one promise to cling to especially, and that as we do that, you would enable us, you would fill us, you would strengthen us and motivate us and comfort us. Do everything that's needed, Lord, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.